be glorified and that your name be risen on high. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to you moms. Happy graduation recognition to the graduates and a wonderful commissioning morning for our parents. It's a great day to be together. Wendy, is it time for me to preach? All right, I've been checking for her for cues today. I've missed my cues. I'm really glad to be with you and to have this time together and to celebrate God's work in our lives among and through and with, alongside our moms. And uh, it's, it's a real privilege today to do what I'm going to do because I'm going to share with you some grace lessons from my mom. Things that I learned either during her life or after her life that have had a major impact on my understanding of God's grace to me and God's grace to her and through her. Now, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not trying to saint my mom. Those of you from South Louisiana have an understanding what I'm saying there. Uh, I'm not trying to make her out to be some unattainable um, model of perfection. Uh, that is not at all what I want to do. But what I want to share with you is how I saw, both during the time that she was alive, and since the time that she's been with the Lord, how God was particularly pouring His grace into her and then through her into others, and how profound that is in the story of her life. And so I'm going to kick it off by just going right into the outline, point number one, the sovereign grace of Jesus offers hope regardless of our past. A lot of mom's stories are not glorious stories of success, but genuine stories of hardship and how hardship formed and shaped and pointed and helped shape these ladies into the people that they later became in their lives. And that for many, they either experienced that or you might be here today and that might be your present experience. You might be here today very broken. And often when you come to a service like this and you are sensing your own brokenness and all of a sudden we sort of parade all these things in front of you, you begin to feel kind of hopeless. Like how could I ever be that way? Whether it is as a lady, as a mom, or whether it is just as a human being. And so what I wanted to do was kind of lay out the background of my mom's story to let you see the sovereign grace of God. You see, in God's sovereign grace, there is this way in which not only does He bring grace that saves us, but He often puts us in situations that make us aware of our need for His grace. My mom's story was very much like that. I've shared with you before, when I had read the book Hillbilly Elegy, 
And again, I mention it with a great deal of hesitation because of the language in it. I cannot give you a full recommendation of that book. It's very raw, and the language in it is beyond any that I believe I've ever read in a book in my life. And uh, so I'm careful about mentioning it and recommending it, but if you can look through the language into the story, you'll see a story of need. My family tree could be described, and particularly my mom's part of my family tree could be described in the book Hillbilly Elegy. It is a book of hardship. There's one particular moment in the book Hillbilly Elegy, and I don't want to be a spoiler for you if you're going to read it, but I think this is important to mention. Where the situation is so difficult that the man who's writing the book looks at his grandmother, he's about eight years old at the time, and he says, in light of this hardship, he says, does God really love us? I remember reading that and just openly weeping at the hardship and the sorrow that was expressed there. Some of you have been there. Some of you have ministered to others who could say that to you. You've identified with them or helped them or even maybe brought them into your home. You've encouraged them and partnered with them. Maybe you've parented with them. This story of brokenness is a story very much like my mom's. In fact, Lynn, pull up that next for me. This is a handwritten note. Written by my mom, I'll explain later why the handwriting is so bad, but written by my mom, listing the 26 places that she could remember that she lived before she was 16 years old. All they knew was running. Running from landlords, running from bills, running from creditors, running from life. All she ever knew was running. I have no idea what it's like to be this anchorless. Where before she's 16 years old, she can remember 26 different places. And those places, each one had a story. She included little blurbs of the story and some of those off to the side. But there was no stability in her life. Her memories of being 14 years old was, were memories of going from barroom to barroom in the town they lived in, trying to find her stepdad before he had spent the whole paycheck. While her mom was working at the mill, trying to make enough for them to survive if stepdad didn't make it home with the money. It was a hard life for her. It was challenging. Some of you are identifying right now. You understand anchorless childhood. You understand unstable situation. My mom grew up in this. In fact, it was a mystery to my mom that anyone loved her. And so she worked through this part of her life, yet God's sovereign grace over her was using the difficult, rocky soil of her childhood to prepare her for what was coming. 
Number two, the saving grace of Jesus alters the course of our lives and our future. Against that backdrop, my mom had a lot of uncertainty. She went to work at Western Union when she was about 17 years old. I think she may have gone to work the year before, but this is all of the story that I was able to get from her and remember. She was working at Western Union. And a person working with her took interest in her. And one day took her to the side and told her something she had never heard in her life and had yet to have any comprehension of. He took her aside, or she took her aside. I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl. Took her aside and said, Betty, that's my mom's, what she went by. Which, by the way, her she was called Betty Davis at a time. That was a pretty famous name. Uh, she said, Betty, I want to read a Bible verse to you. And after I read that Bible verse to you, I want to change the Bible verse just a little and personalize it. As that person opened and read for the first time in her hearing, John 3.16. And that person began to say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My mom sat and listened to that. And then the person said, let me personalize it. For God so loved Betty, that He gave His only begotten Son, that if Betty would believe in Him, She would not perish, but Betty would have everlasting life. At the age of 17, for the first time in my mom's life, she heard that God loves her. And she was floored. When she recounted the story to me many years after the fact, she was still moved with great emotion because she never knew. She was exactly like that boy in the Hillbilly Elegy book. Does God really love us? And for the first time, not only had she heard it, but it had been personalized in such a way. No one needed to convince my mom that she was a sinner. She well knew from all of the ruggedness of her own life. And on that day, she turned. And the course of her life was radically altered from a life that had been anchorless to a life with an anchor. And on that day, she anchored her heart, her soul, her being to Jesus Christ, believing He had died for her sins and been raised from the dead. And she committed herself on that day, by faith, to follow Him. And she did. But things came along with that. Shortly afterwards, just a few years, she met my dad. and They were married. We'll go into number three. The sufficient grace of Jesus upholds us in every situation. 
The scripture texts that back these truths are clear. We read just a few moments ago about Paul being told that there was a grace sufficient in his weakness. A grace beyond his capability that would sustain him. That would nourish him. That would enable him. And so here, my mom and my dad get married. The next year, my sister Melanie is born. About four years later, my brother David is born. And then about two years following, she became pregnant with my brother Mark. At this point, I'm going to read what I'm going to share with you. Uh, First, to control my own emotions, and second, to stay accurate. Do I look like Steve Ortego now? I'm going for that look. All right. Shout out to him. Okay, so here we go. In April of 1958, while my mom was expecting my brother Mark, her third child, she awakened one day to find that her left eye was turned upward, almost far enough to hide the colored iris of her brown eyes. Extremely concerned, she reported this to her doctor who referred her to other doctors who all came to the conclusion that my mom had a very serious brain aneurysm. Because of the critical nature of this, a specialist from Austria who happened to be in Atlanta, Georgia, at the time, became involved. From my understanding, he was one of the few doctors who had ever successfully performed a corrective surgery on a brain aneurysm of this type. And my mother was either going to be the first or one of the first who ever had this type of surgery in the South. So you could imagine the fear in my mom at nine months, all right at just before nine months, of pregnancy, she wakes up and something is bulging in her brain and has pointed her eye up into her head and all of the fear that comes with that. So on June 25th, my brother, Mark Timothy Walker, was born by cesarean section, which was fairly uh, unfrequent in that day. And my mom was prepped for brain surgery on the 26th day of June, the next day. The doctor had warned, saying that he may be able to give her a few weeks, or months, or maybe a year with her new baby. But he did not hold out hope for much longer. Beyond that, he held little hope for the patch that he would use to correct the aneurysm since it was... Basically experimental. The surgery went better than expected and my mom was soon released to go home. She got home. She got settled in. She has a six-year-old, a two-year-old, and she has a newborn. Almost six weeks to the day, she was sitting at the breakfast table with my dad. Doing what they did every morning. They were having coffee. My dad looked at her and said, Betty, are you okay? She said, yes, why do you ask? 
He said, your coffee is running out of your mouth. To their horror, my mom was having a massive stroke at 29 years of age. New baby and recovering from a C-section and brain surgery. The stroke occurred on the left side of her brain and caused complete paralysis of the right side of her body. And she slipped into a coma. She remained in that coma in a fetal position in an oxygen tent for two to three weeks. During which time my dad, who was daily attending to the needs of my mom and checking on my brother, who for 20 weeks was raised by the nursing staff at the hospital. Nurses, I thank God for you. For 20 weeks raised my brother. Think about that. While he was attending to her, his car was stolen from the hospital parking lot. When my mom awakened from the coma, she was unable to speak and could not hardly move. She had little knowledge of who her family was or that she had had a baby. The doctors, holding little hope for her recovery, encouraged my dad to begin searching for a nursing home in which he could place her. But my dad did not lose hope. He came every day to feed her, to care for her, while having my brother David and sister Melanie farmed out to other family members and friends and church members. Things were bleak. But my dad held hope. And he prayed. On the twelfth week after the stroke, on a Sunday morning, my dad had gotten my mom out of her bed and was attempting to get some breakfast into her mouth, half of which functioned and half of which didn't. In the hospital room, there was a television. My dad had turned it on to watch the services of Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church, which were broadcast locally in Atlanta. The choir and congregation began to sing, standing on the promises of Christ our King. Through eternal ages, let His praises ring. And my mom, taking a bite of food, swallowed, and for the first time in 12 weeks, she didn't speak, but she sang. And she began to sing with the choir, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Right along with the TV, she sang, along with Dad, every word, standing on the promises. And after the song, she began speaking to my dad, knowing who he was and cognizant of all that was happening. Soon she was brought home and spent about a year recovering at home with continued physical therapy and help from family and friends. The Lord was providing for my mom 
A sufficiency of grace she had never known. Even when she was incapacitated. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace through the church. Grace through the hospital. Grace through my believing dad. Grace on grace. And he raised her up after the prayers of the church and my dad and other family members. He raised her up in this sufficient grace to come home. To begin the process of learning to walk again. The reason the writing on my mom's little list of all the places that she lived was so terrible. Her right hand would never write again. So she had to learn at 29 years old how to write with her left hand. And I could imagine that was a labor in itself. And so God has given us in my family a sufficient grace for things far beyond our comprehension. Beyond our ability. She never lost her joy in all of these things. And our family's faith only prospered as a result. So we move now to number four, the sustaining grace of Jesus that enables us to live sacrificial lives. I've shared this part of the story with you to share another part. In 1962, my mom found out that she was again expecting a child, a fourth child. Sometime in about the second month of the pregnancy, they realized what was happening. And after what they had been through, suddenly alarm spread through my family. The last pregnancy had caused the pressure in her head to rise to the place to expose the aneurysm. This patch, unreliable, unresearched, experimental, had been placed inside her head in an open head brain surgery. A massive stroke had come afterwards that had debilitated her and she was only now beginning in this second year following to get her walking ability back, her speech ability clear. And in the midst of all that, they found out that she was expecting. Her doctors quickly took her aside with my dad And told her, your body cannot endure carrying another child. Much less giving birth to another child. For the doctors, the answer was simple. A very unheard of and rare practice in 1962. They told my mom, you have to have an abortion. This pregnancy will kill you. My mom, with a very simple faith and a life that had been quite difficult from her rearing through the birth of this third child had been so hard and her recovery had been slow and arduous. When given that advice by the doctors, simply looked at the doctors and said, If God has given me this child, He will sustain me with this child. 
Go ahead, Lynn. That's me. My mom risked her life to give me birth. The sustaining grace of Jesus was for her enough to be sacrificial and to trust that God had already worked one miracle in her life. And she was not going to deny Him the opportunity to work another. And so on September 10th, 1962, this knucklehead was born. Now think about that. What do you think those seven months were like for my mom and dad? Knowing that every day of that pregnancy, the odds of her death were increasing. This morning, I wept uncontrollably in my chair as I just leaned back and started thinking, what would every day be like in that, knowing that the odds were that the pregnancy itself would kill her, much less the delivery. And so... She gave birth to me. And here I am, standing on the promises and believing. And that through the kind of grace that God gives to an unanchored woman who anchors herself in Jesus, she is able to do things beyond my comprehension because of her love for Jesus. And her family. You realize I knew none of this story until I was 12 years old. And even then I only learned of my brother's birth, not mine. I only learned of the stroke because my mom had compensated so well that the only thing I ever noticed is that she had a slight limp and her right hand seemed to always move at half speed. But I didn't know until about 12 when I was told the story of the aneurysm and the stroke. It was not until the very latter years that I understood the implications at my birth. And my mom shared with me, as did my sister. But it doesn't stop there. Number five, and we'll close with this. The sanctifying grace of Jesus allows us to influence the future. My mom's profession of faith was not a casual walk down the aisle and go on with your life. My mom was born again and she acted like it. And that began to permeate an entire family. And as it began to permeate that family, things began to change. She went from the course of her life, which was unanchored and broken and always unstable and always uncertain, to a home where the love of Christ was known and exhibited and understood by all who were there. But something happened through her 
You see, her influence had not just changed her trajectory and the trajectory of my dad. It had changed the trajectory of many people. Beginning with her sister. As my mom lived this newfound faith out in her life, and as she walked with Jesus regularly, my sister, who was hardened by all of the things that had happened in childhood, my mom's sister, was hardened by all of the things that had happened in her childhood, began watching my mom navigate things, and as a result, my mom led her sister who at the time was in her 40s, to faith in Jesus Christ. But it didn't stop there. Her sister's husband, who honestly is the meanest man I've ever been close to, I was scared of him. I had sorrow for my cousins who were raised in his home. If you look up in the dictionary the word mean, there's a great picture of him in there. This guy was bad. He was raised in a similar situation and his hardness came through in every aspect of his life. But my mom never stopped, never stopped telling the gospel to my Uncle Doug. And suddenly, six months from when he would lose his life, The gospel took root. And my uncle, the toughest, meanest, hardest man I'd ever known, was broken by the power of the gospel and the testimony of my mom. And he, sitting at his counter, wept bitterly and said exactly what John Piper tells about in his book about a man coming forward during an invitation. He said, I've wasted my life. But he was saved. And my mom's testimony, but it didn't stop there. She stayed on course with her mom. Who at the age of 92, heard the gospel one more time from my mom. And at 92 years of age, my grandmother was saved. She lived to be 96. And then, go ahead Lynn, she raised these four knuckleheads. In the middle left is my sister. She's the eldest. My sister's gift is the gift of hospice. And her calling by God is to help people be ready to die. And to give them dignity and comfort. And that's what she's given her life to. She just finished helping Dr. Johnny Hunt and First Baptist Church plant a new church in um, the uh, area of uh, Panama City Beach. Moved on from there to a new location that she's ministering in right now as a, a laborer in the church there in the Tampa Bay area. She loves Jesus. My brother David on the left, you can tell by looking at him why he's called Big Dave. This past year at Thanksgiving, Big Dave and his family and friends cooked 2,000 to-go plates at his house. And took it to the poor people in West Atlanta. House by house. 2,000 to-go plates of turkey and dressing and gravy and homemade rolls. All 
taken to the poor. Every Christmas, my brother David adopts a home for mentally broken men. He buys all the clothing for them for that year and he plays Santa Claus to them and goes to see them all and then brings them all to church with him on Sunday. My brother Mark is part of a ministry. He's a deacon. He's a leader, a small group leader in the church that he serves in. Very generous and giving. Every one of us learned these things from our mom. And I stand today tell you that the grace of Jesus Christ took my unanchored mom with his sovereign grace to expose her need to his saving grace through his sufficient grace into his incredible sustaining grace into his sanctifying grace and she has touched even the Satchila people an unreached people group in Ecuador Because of who she is. And she would stand and tell you today, it's just Jesus. I want to introduce you to His sovereign grace. He's been orchestrating things in your life to make you aware that you need Him. I want to tell you of His saving grace. He loves you and wants to forgive you of your sin and change the course of your life. I want to tell you about His sufficient grace that no matter what you encounter, He will never leave you or forsake you. His sustaining grace that even in the hardest moments, you can sacrifice in honor of Jesus. And His sanctifying grace that will transform you into a witness to the generations above you, And under you, this is the grace of Jesus. My mom was simply a little container that he poured it upon me with. Moms, thank you for being that kind of container. And I want to challenge anyone who's here today. That same grace is offered to you. Would you bow with me? Some of you have the unanchored and broken situation and you are longing for an anchor. His name is Jesus. This Jesus wants to bring salvation to you this moment. For God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, you would not perish. They have everlasting life. You see, the perishing is the result of the decisions you've made and the sins you've done. But Jesus took that perishing on the cross. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried. Afterward, He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. And He ascended to the right hand of God where He intercedes right now. He prays for His brothers and sisters, those who believe the children of God. Would you receive Him and His grace today? Would you do that? Maybe you're a mom and you need to do like Betty Walker did and start fresh today and receive Jesus. You might be in the middle of a difficult circumstance and already be a Christian and you just heard about a sustaining grace that can take you through whatever your challenge is. Would you trust that? Would you embrace that like my mom did? Or maybe you need to honor a mom who has done this for you. And she's been a 
vessel of grace. My dad had a saying. I want to warn you with it. Flowers are for the living. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't give flowers at a funeral, put flowers in the church, but my dad just thought, tell them while they're alive. And there's probably some folks here who need to write a letter to their mama. Make a visit, a call, and thank them for being a vessel of grace been pouring out on you all these years. However God is leading you today, would you make it settled in the grace of Jesus? Would you stand? Would you come?